with me in prayer. Lord, we give this time to you now, and we ask that you would just take this passage and take the deep truths that are within it, and as we've just sung, teach us full obedience and holy reverence and true humility, like sheep, like a, like a soulless coin, you would help us to wholeheartedly follow you and not our own devices, and that we would think your thoughts, and now your words would be mine, and that you would bend our wills and set our hearts on fire with love for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. What is it about car keys? What is it about eyeglasses? You know, they really have a tendency to go growing legs and find somewhere else to be than where you thought they were, do they not? Right? There's always somebody strolling in here a few minutes late and they're saying, I swear I couldn't find my car keys, you know? Or, you know, my glasses. This is the, my like fourth pair of glasses this year. I, Kimmy threatens me with getting those old people things, you know? And I said, I'm not going to wear them. She goes, yes, you are. <laughs> well, much, much like lost keys and lost glasses, what we have here is we're going to this section of parables in Luke's gospel. Now, we did the parable of the prodigal son during Lent. So we're going to jump over that next week. All right. You have to go back in the archives. We did. We did that in Lent number week four. Um, but we're going to be going through this section. Next week we go to the parable of the, of the dishonest manager. These great metaphor and allegory stories that have deep truths for what it is to be in the kingdom of God. And what are the implications for this as his people, for us as his people. So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, uh, excuse me, uh, 15. As well as, you can find it in the back of your bulletin on page 16. If you're using your phone, just put it on airplane mode. You know, kickoffs at 1. Your fantasy scores can wait. All right? Um, just let the Holy Spirit speak to you now. Okay? That's what we're trying to be, is letting the Bible shape us. We've just sung that. So let's ask the Lord to do that. Because what we learn is some great truths. We learn here the lesson of the valuable sheep. We learn the lesson of the relentless search and rescue of God. And third, we learn of the rejoicing shepherd. The valuable sheep, the relentless search and rescue mission of the shepherd, and the rejoicing shepherd. Let's look at this. First, we see in this passage the value of the sheep that are here. When Jesus says, what man of you, verse 4, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Same thing with the coin. Which one of you, if you had 10 coins, you lost one silver coin, why wouldn't you turn the house over and go find it? You know, when we think of sheep, we think of fuzzy, cuddly, stuffed animal creatures, Right? Right? And I know I've said this before, but it's worth saying again because Jesus is saying it here. When we talk of sheep, my friends, we need to go back to the first century. 
or just go back to a person who owns one. Talk to Amy. She has owned sheep. She will tell you, all right? When the Bible calls us sheep, in Jesus the great shepherd, that is a well-aimed and intended spiritual insult, all right? Listen to the words of a pastor who before he went to the pastorate was a shepherd. Here's what he says. A sheep is a stupid animal. It loses its direction continually in a way a cat or dog never does. Even when you find a lost sheep, the lost sheep rushes to and fro and will not follow you home. So when you find it, you must seize it, throw it to the ground, tie its forelegs and bind its legs together, put it over your shoulders, and carry it home. That's the only way to save a sheep. So the first thing that this teaches us is that sheep and a coin, my friends, we're valued and we need to be saved. We need to be rescued. One of the great memories in, in 2003, Kimmy gifted me as a graduation gift with a trip with our beloved church history professor at Trinity to, in January because the fair was, airfare was cheap and travel was cheap in January. We went to southern England and did a whole tour of southern England. And it was delightful with Dr. Les Fairfield. It was great. Les would tell these stories. Then we'd take a nap on the bus. Then we'd arrive at these great places of church history. They were awesome. It was awesome for several reasons. Number one, I got to see the place of my roots, you know. Two, I got to go to lots of pubs, and it was fun because they actually do like Americans in England. They do. They really do um, if you're not the rude American. And uh, I just had dear friends who watched my kids and carted my kids around to hockey games and what have you. It was, it was really a blessing to go there. But one of the most memorable experiences is Dr. Les Fearfield as we're going to a wool church. The church was called a wool church because the wool trade in the Middle Ages was greatly uh, prosperous. And so the lords that owned the sheep and the lands upon which the sheep grazed and the woolen mills all made a lot of money back in 1200, 1300. And so to bless the people of his estate, he built this mini cathedral. Sat about 200 people, but it was a stone, 200 foot ceilings. It was gorgeous. But to get to this wool church, we had to go down these back roads that a Land Rover needed to be on, much less a bus. And so we're going on these back roads, and Les is talking about the countryside and the history of this region and, and all the things that went there, good, bad, and ugly. And he said, and if you look up to your right, you will notice animal population indigenous to the countryside. And up on top of this hill, on this crest, were about 20 or so sheep, you know. And the thought did come to me, how are they going to get down? You know, and, and Les, in his wonderful humorous, said, well, that shepherd has his work cut out for him. Because where they were eating, if they keep eating, the grass is going to run out, and no border collie is going to be able to get up there to get them down. My friends, when Jesus is calling us sheep, 
what he's saying to us is that we all go and feed on something, all right? And if we're not feeding on the Lord, there's a problem in our lives as we call ourselves Christians, all right? You notice when we have communion, right? They're the invitation, the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, the food of new and unending life in him. Feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. That's assuming that we're all feeding our hearts on something, right? And what do we tend to do in our lives? We tend, in our culture, to put our happiness, hopes, and securities on something. And if it's not Jesus, it's shaky ground. You're going to run out of real food down the road. And it's a dangerous precipice to be upon. Because that's what we do. We tend to rest our hopes on image or status, our looks, our family, our kids, our wealth, so-and-so falling in love with you, etc. Whatever it is, you're feeding your soul on something. And if it's not at the hand of Jesus, at the feet of our good shepherd, ladies and gentlemen, you're like a sheep on the ledge. And it's important to understand that because when you're on with Jesus and if you're doing even the Christian life your way and not according to the Bible's way or his way, you're on the ledge because you're feeding yourself his way, not your way, not his. Because we tend to do things and we place our hopes and dreams. If I just land this dream job, if, if he or she just marries me, if, if I can get this much money, then I will have arrived. Then I'm okay. But you know what that means? You're up on the grass and the grass is going to run out eventually. Way up on the hillside. What if you lose your job? What if she breaks up with you? What if your kids don't perform well in school? What if your kid doesn't make the team? What if your kid doesn't get into the school they applied for? All those things that typical parents today, families, individuals tend to put their hopes on. You're not just disappointed, you're crushed. And the Bible says we all do that. All we like sheep have gone astray, each to his own way. And I know that there are some who really struggle with this, perhaps. Because we sit under 300 years of teaching that says, you were born innocent, and your parents, your culture, messed you up. <laughs> right? That's what Rousseau said in the Enlightenment. Exactly what he said. And essentially, we're all innocent, and the idea of being sheep in need of rescue, in other words, that we're totally sinners and we need rescue, uh, is absolutely repugnant to many people in our culture, even today. But it's, it's quite ironic, isn't it? Because when you talk to people about this honestly, well, when I look over the next three, past 300 years, what do we have in human history? Countless civil wars, two great world wars, and today, a global war on terrorism. 
and you're going to tell me that human nature is born innocent? Really? Alan Jacobs is a Christian uh, professor at Baylor University, and he wrote a book in 2008 entitled Original Sin and how the culture that we live in in the West doesn't like this, and he talked about the reality of it. So he interviewed a bunch of, of the intelligentsia, the cultural elites, and he discovered that many of them are recognizing that even Rousseau was wrong. Randall Jarrell, Jacobs quotes in his book, who says, Most of us know now that Rousseau was wrong, that man, when you knock his chains off, set up the death camps. Soon we will know everything that the 18th century didn't know about human capacity for selfishness, greed, and violence. Now, Alan Jacobs goes on and says, well, wait a minute. Modern culture says it has left behind Christianity's repulsive doctrine of original sin, but it also says that it has left Rousseau's naivete about human nature behind. So Jacob says, so where in the hell are we? What he's actually saying in that statement is, you can't have your cake and eat it too, folks. If you're somebody who says, you know, it's so negative to talk this way about that we're all sinners and, you know, we, we can talk it back, right? Well, Solzhenitsyn didn't believe in original sin until they put him in the gulag in Siberia. So my friends, this, what Jesus is teaching us about sheep is that the sheep and the coin, that we are sinners and we need to be saved and we need to be saved by sheer grace. And for the Christian, that's good news. So it doesn't stop there. It doesn't just teach us that we need to be rescued. It also teaches us how thoroughly we need to be rescued. It continues. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has not lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Skipping down to the woman. If she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. You remember what the shepherd said about going and getting sheep, right? You know, the lost sheep will run around until you grab it, wrestle it, throw it down, tie its legs, put it over your shoulder, and bring it home. You know, uh, you know, if your dog gets out, most dogs, you know, now hound dogs are, are stubborn, I admit. Um, even Sherlock with his invisible fence will go to the far corner of the property and look at me. I go, come here, Sherlock. And he looks at me like, do I have to? You know? Yeah, come on. So he starts to walk. But he eventually comes. All right? Sheep don't do that. The shepherd has to do everything for the sheep to bring it home. You know what this means, right? 
This is saying human beings are utterly lost and can can do nothing to contribute to their salvation. You can't cooperate with Jesus Christ. You surrender to Jesus Christ and make him Lord. That's it. That's all. Done. You can't call him just a great teacher who will tell you how to live and give you an inspirational spiritual injection so you can live better. So you can emulate him and try your best to live like Jesus. I can't tell you how many people have told me that. What's the Christian life? Well, you know, it means to try hard living the example of Jesus. After studying this a week, you know what I'm going to say to people when they say it to me? So you're a spiritual dog. That's what you're telling me, right? You're a spiritual dog. You're not a sheep. The Bible calls a sheep. Tell me how you think you're a dog that you can obey Jesus. Because I'm not a, I'm not, I'm a sheep. The problem with us you know, was that we're sheep. We're not Sherlock, as stubborn as he is. A good teacher wouldn't have been enough for us. A good teacher, great teacher, wasn't enough for us. Jesus said, I sent you teachers, and you killed them all. No, what you needed was a Savior. Because ultimately, we're sheep with tiger teeth. And we really bite each other. We need somebody who has to do everything that we should do. We need somebody who absolutely lives the life we should have lived. And he would die the death that we deserve to die. And the reality is, we do in Jesus Christ. Jesus lived perfectly under the Father, died for us upon the cross. And that's the relentless search and mission that he went on for you and me. That's where we are in Luke. So as he's telling these stories, as his heart is set, his face is set toward Jerusalem, chapter 9, verse 51, never forget that these stories are reminding him of the grace of love. He's gone after you, put you over his shoulder, brought you home, plucked you back in the sheep pen, and you escaped again. And he's coming after you again. It's good news, because that's what good shepherds do. Because that's what we do, right? And we're valuable. We're like that. The woman goes, just strips the whole house. It goes after that one coin because it's worth so much. Well, so are you, dear friends. And so, my friends, we are in desperate need of a rescue. God relentlessly searches for us. And when he finds us, he rejoices. Look at it. It's just, it's just wonderful. Verse 6. Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Verse 9. And when the woman finds it, she calls together her neighbors and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You won't understand this until you understand the context and the people to whom he's speaking with. The tax collectors and sinners are there, 
but he's addressing the Pharisees and scribes who are doing what? Verses 1 and 2. What are they doing? Grumbling. Why are they grumbling? Why are they so dumbfounded that this Jesus attracts not perfect people like them? Right? Why? Because Jesus is building a community with not perfect people. He's building a community with people who don't have their act together. They're building a group of people. That's why I do the welcome every week. Because I know, I, I say it as much for myself as I do for, for you guys. Because I see people's faces to all who are weary and need rest. To all who mourn and long for comfort. To all who feel worthless and wonder if God even cares about what you're going through. To all who have struggled to be faithful to the Lord throughout this week. And long for strength to walk the Christian life better. To all who sin and need a savior. It's, a, it's, it's those tax collectors and sinners type people. It's not the Pharisees. And Jesus is talking to them. And it's a position of posture. It's a position that, of humility over here and pride over here. That they're going to live unto the Lord their way. And we got to fight that with every breath that's within us, my friends. No, we're not going to do it our way. We're going to do it his way. Because there's no perfect people here. The gospel is we're sheep. That we can't contribute one thing to our salvation. And that when he rescues us, he goes, yes! My sheep is home! Party! There were a hundred of them. Could have let that one go, Lord. Notice, he leaves them out in the open country. They don't get brought to the, back to the sheep pen. They get brought back to the other sheep. They're out in the middle of nowhere. What if the, the wolf came and attacked all the 99 just for that one? That one is worth it. That coin is worth it. And when they come, they rejoice. So what does this mean for us? What it means, my friends is not only does God have a joy, we too have a joy as we walk together and grow together and new people come into the fellowship. We get a joy over being saved by grace, recognizing that I'm infinitely lost and I'm saved by sheer grace. I can follow him with you. And I'll never be superior to anybody. Because that's what we do, right? See, in Christ, you get a new identity. You know, and our young people are all told, you know, you can find a, your own identity, you know, because there's 35 different genders. Um, no, there's not. We're created male and female. The older generation is no different, my friends, because the older generations, we find our identity, you know, I went to Ohio State. Go Buckeyes. You know, I went to Harvard. You know, I went to Stanford. I built a successful business. I, whatever accomplishment you had, we all do that because that makes us feel superior. It makes us feel like we've accomplished something and we know they haven't, so we say these types of things. But when you get the joy of the Lord recognizing that you're saved by sheer grace, you recognize that you, you can't feel superior to anybody. That's why I'm talking about humility versus pride. 
There's a joy that creates absolutely new kind of community which Christ calls the church that the West Shore really hasn't seen before. And he keep, helps us to keep that kind of posture of humility to those who don't quite get it yet because there's no perfect people here. We're more like the tax collectors and sinners. So in closing, how are we reflecting that community here at Christ Church? How are we walking together? Because Sunday's not the mission. Sunday's for the mission, Monday through Saturday. How are we doing life with one another here that exhibits what Jesus is talking about right here? That I'm saved by sheer grace. I'm a sheep. He relentlessly pursued me. I'm a new creation, and he rejoices over me. As pathetic as I am, he rejoices over me. How do our lives reflect that? Well, you see this week, we're all kicked off now. All our groups. Tuesday, uh, the women's group is going to be studying Paul's letters to the church right here in this room. Come and join them, ladies, if you're able to. We also have CBS on Thursdays. Is that starting this week, Catherine? It already did. Well, they, not too late to join, you know. And so talk to Catherine if you're interested in, in whatsoever. You also got our Wednesday morning men's group at Rocky River. You've also got our Wednesday night groups. Our Remark Learn study is going to study Thessalonians this fall, both letters with Jim and Vicki Crawford leading that, as well as we have our Emotionally Health Discipleship. You know? These are the books we buy. about cost about 25 bucks. The reality of them is that the whole point, our whole focus this year is that you can be a 60-year-old Christian, but you're one-year-old 60 times. All right? We need to get past those things which help us to really know and experience the grace of God and begin to bear fruit. We also have a Saturday morning group, men's group, led by our friend John Mack at Bob Shaper's house. There's room for everybody. There's something for everybody here. Are you going to humble yourself and be part of that? Or are you going to say, nah, I'm going to do it my way? I want to encourage you. When you're a new creation, you're all welcome. You're all welcome. Come walk with us. Share life, but do life together. For at Christ Church, we're being changed from a helpless, witless sheep to being shepherds to each other because of our great shepherd who loved us to the cross, has turned himself into a helpless, perfect lamb, and we're saved by his grace so that we can be a grace community. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us this great invitation to be a community in which we can be sinners. We can say that we're a great sinner and have other sinners around us who care for us, pick us up, hold us accountable, but never give up on us. We thank you that as we do so, we're a community of grace, recognizing that there's no perfect people here. We can learn from one another. And have a bond with each other that goes past all the things that typically divide, whether it's race, class, or generation. 
Lord, I pray that you would make us increasingly a community of grace because of what Jesus, your Son, our Lord, did for us. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.